Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that our friend Nancy McDermott is back. She has been on before. Um, Nancy is a cookbook author and a teacher, a baker, and she's so many things and very, very special to me. Now, we had a part one, so we're calling this part two because Nancy and I, we can talk. <laughs> we, uh-huh. can talk. <laughs> we have no problem. Sometimes we even run on, as my mother would say. Now, but here's what I want to talk to about Miss Nancy today. And this has been heavy, heavy on my mind, Nancy. I'm serious. And let me tell you why. I read things. Nancy's face, Nancy is on Facebook and often um, she, Nancy anti-racism, she prints incredible and shares incredible articles of history that show us sometimes try to connect the dots in our history that I'm telling you, Nancy, you have taught me it's not easy. There's so much that our, we has been hidden about American history and about black history. This shouldn't be a surprise to me. I don't know why. I think sometimes, Nancy, I'm, I'm not very bright. But the other day, I mean it. And let me tell you something. If this, I have to say this before we start. I'm having a birthday lunch with a dear friend who has two boys and a girl. They're now in college, you know, college and getting married. Their daughter is going to Georgetown to be an attorney. She's just incredible. She's engaged. And they have a new daughter-in-law who's been working in women's rights for, and is with the, the possible changes in Roe versus Wade. I mean, she's, the kid's been in the trenches for her last five or six years. Well, as they sat there and they're so smart and I thought to myself, well, I burned my bra for you. You know, I did try. I did help, you know, I was there with Sandra O'Connor trying to get on the Supreme Court. I mean, I wanted to tell them I've been doing this for a long time, not always successfully because Nancy, I can't even imagine the rage and like Black Lives Matter, because I am so enraged that as a 71-year-old woman that I don't have the same power as a white man. And yet, I've been paying taxes since I was 15 years old, and yet I vote in every election. But you know what? I'm only half a citizen to a lot of people, to a lot of people, and half of them are in our Congress. (laughs) So the other day, and then you started to explain it to me, but I want you to explain it to people so they can all hear I see this thing about Memorial Day. Here we've just had Memorial Day. Now, I of course assume that Memorial Day came from after like World War I, something like that, or maybe, you know, after a war that was in Europe. I don't know, I've never asked myself that. I know that my father was a veteran and we would hang a flag out and, you know, it's to respect people that have died in a war. So when I read, thanks to you on your page, what it was really about, I was so mortified that I knew nothing. So will you please, I, and I, I quizzed people all day, I said things like, did you know this? Did you know this? Because I was shocked. Tell us the true story about Memorial Day here in the United States. One of many. Um, and Denise, isn't, isn't part, of, part of me wants to say, that can't be true because if that were true, I would know about it. 
we 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 not we almost resist we don't want to be ignorant we don't want to be misled any of those things so the first Memorial Day observance was in, I believe it's 1866. Uh, the Civil War ends in, with the surrender um, Lee and Grant in April of, 19, of 1865. And uh, the Juneteenth observation is in June of that year, which was uh, Union Army mounted on horseback traveling with the formal, you know, the formal proclamation, which of course was from 1863 to all areas of the South and Galveston, Texas was one of the last places to get the news. And by the way, the news happened in 1863, but of course, without Union soldiers there to say, yeah, this is the deal. And you don't, you actually don't have to like it. We're not asking you, we're saying, you know, that, that gave a lot of gravitas to, uh, to, the, to the fact. So in 1866, a group of, of African-American formerly enslaved people gathered together to right a wrong. There was a mass grave of Union soldiers, some black, some white, uh, who had been just buried in a mass grave at a racetrack in Charleston. They arranged, you know, where would they get the money? Where would they get the resources? They figured it out. A horrible wrong had happened. They arranged for the proper burial of those soldiers of those heroes of the Union Army, and they didn't just do it and weep. They had parade, they had celebration. It was called Decoration Day for many years because that was something that they had time to do in, in a year beyond enslavement. And then this, then there's, you know, there's more of this. And was that not noted? Yes, it was. But of course, what we know is what history says. And we think you can't change. I mean, have you ever heard anybody say you can't change history? Yes. <laughs> Be some arrogant person who doesn't like your, your sassy attitude. <laughs> um, so that is something that was knowable, but it wasn't known because history is a narrative that is told by the winners. And we have been miseducated, undereducated, wrongly educated, even those of us who are open to things, um, there's just so much that we don't know. And yet we think we know, we didn't know that there was a hole there. And it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not, oh, we lost the birth certificate. It's, it's an intentional way of keeping white supremacist ideology on top to control the narrative. And it's Memorial Day, it's Juneteenth, it's Reconstruction. I learned that Reconstruction was a terrible time after the Civil War when Yankees came down, carpetbaggers and scalawags came down and bossed people around and tried to take over and were very selfish and bad and wrong. Race is not mentioned in this, but it was a terrible time and then they went away. So I thought, oh, Reconstruction, terrible time. A few, I mean, relatively few years ago for me being a grown up, I started to smell a rat. <laughs> and so there's reconstruction and Dr. Henry, Henry Louis Gates has a phenomenal series on PBS. Y'all look it up. We should all watch that. Just sit and watch it all the way through. It's the whole story. What's the name? Because uh, Recon, uh, let's see. Reconstruction. Hold on. I know which one you're talking about. I also watched Ken Reconstruction America after the Civil War PBS. I think it's like four or six parts. Yes. I watched that one. I also watched Ken Burns Civil War on PBS. 
I was astounded what I learned. And I was astounded about reconstruction exactly. Um, you know, some of it when you, I'll tell you, Nancy, it, thank you for, yes, thank you. I'm stuttering because had Abraham Lincoln not been assassinated at that moment, do you know what I mean? And Andrew Johnson, who turned out to be just a piece of a crap, just Complete to be crap. Confederate sympathizer. He yeah. was on the ticket to get, uh, and ha ha ha, this will get votes. It's like, no, he was a white supremacist plant. And President Lincoln was assassinated by a Confederate. And yes. it was not, you know, anybody ever wonder why he did that? That was, gee. Isn't that an amazing coincidence that yes. someone just, hmm. But when you look at it, I, 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 there's been an interesting, there's a new on the History Channel, and not to take you off the subject, I'll bring you back, on Roosevelt, on Theodore Roosevelt. Now, what people, and this is why about voting and making changes and people saying, oh, my vote doesn't matter, or, well, I didn't like either of the people on the ballot. Huh? I mean, I hear, I hear, there's this history channel on Theodore Roosevelt. I'm, I'm convinced, now he, he was only human. He made mistakes, he was a Republican, but uh, one of the things that it shows me is if he hadn't, if we hadn't had Theodore Roosevelt, we probably wouldn't have a national park in the United States, okay? So the, the, the high point is that he loved wilderness we probably wouldn't have a buffalo left on this country, on this, the land of this country, except for Theodore Roosevelt. And I had this discussion recently with Cinemals because I found the other show that's been amazing is if you are watching the first ladies with talking about Jerry Ford. Okay, Jerry Ford, everybody made fun of him. You know, he played football without a helmet and he only got it because of, you know, he was the only guy in the whole Congress they could find that wasn't a crook after Richard Nixon. But the genius in it was that his wife, Betty Ford, without Betty Ford, we might not have ever been able to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. She, breast cancer bringing women's, a woman's health issue to the front. So when people talk about laws and presidents and all this stuff, they make a huge difference. And unless we, as you said, unless we, you know, people aren't going to enforce it themselves. Galveston for two years still had a quarter of a million slaves in Galveston, Texas after the, after the Civil War because no one made them because the Union troops couldn't get there. There was enough going on. But also people just kept on. It was against the law. They'd known it was against the law. They just kept their slaves. The poor slaves, some of the slaves there didn't even know that they had been freed. So if you can't trust your fellow man, to be honest, we better have a good government. It's frightening, but true. I, I, so everything you talked to me about, so when I started to ask you, I never knew that about Memorial Day, Nancy. When did you learn that? Oh, in the last five years. Okay, I mean, good. That, that's, it, we're, we're not supposed to know. Okay. And no one is, there is a narrative that is, that is given to us. I, I didn't learn about uh, Memorial Day. I did learn in high school about manifest destiny. It was capitalized. It is a complete hogwash, white supremacist, patriarchal theory of basically God wanted white Europeans to come over 
and claim the land so that we would be America. Yes. And which is giving a pass to uh, the, the, the genocide of indigenous people, to enslavement, to everything that it's like, it's God's plan. That was in my history books about it as though it were a recipe, a thing. Now, I did not learn anything about manifest death. I'm sorry, about the great migration, the great black migration. Yeah. Which is, oh, there's a wonderful book, The Warmth of Other Suns, the epic story of America's great migration by Isabel Wilkerson, won the Pulitzer Prize. This is probably, I don't know, six, six or eight years old. I mean, it's- I was just reading about that book, Nancy. I'm so glad you reminded me. I'm going to go to Amazon and buy it. I was just reading about it yesterday when I was doing some, The Great Migration. It's, and, and I didn't learn about that. I didn't study about it. I knew that there were a lot of black people in the North who had Southern accents and, you know, but there's, there was no narrative that came to me because my little head was full of all the things that, uh, that uh, facilitate the story that we are living right now and that everything is good and right. And that it's always been this way and how dare you ever criticize. And it's, you know, it, it's just, there are just lots of lies <laughs> that pass for truth and lots of things we don't know. One of the things you've taught me, and I mean this, see, I think it's very hard for people to say white supremacist. I'm just saying, it is. You're, right, you're correct. I, I, I know for me, the first time I heard you say it, I, I kind of flinched for a minute. And I know that it's, oh my God, I, I feel like my whole life I had some fucking white man's boot on my neck. I know about white supremacists. I know, I, I see it in the newspaper every day. I meet people that live around me that are white supremacists. But it's a very, I'm just saying, I was saying this yesterday to a friend. She's, we went to school together as children. I said, as white, as a white girl, I was not raised to confront people with things like saying, oh, by the way, I just need to mention with mentioned you're a white supremacist even though I know you are hi Emma Jack another cookie can I serve what I serve you I mean when I look back on my life and of course my mother Nancy used to say things like don't be loud don't swear please don't say anything about that Denise and that's none of your business and when I as I did start to grow up and I say things that's a lie or he's a hypocrite or I don't think that's the way it really went down one of the first things I was aware of because I grew up in Marin County was that all the Indians that had lived there happily for generations had been murdered and slaughtered and we named the high schools after the conquerors yes we did and the and the lake and the stream and the river might have an Indian name because we're so respectful it, it's <laughs> I used to say, you know, just a big blank. That's right. I'd say to my father, so what happened to the Miwok Indians? My father said, oh, they died out. Well, <laughs> they weren't were eating their spinach or their yeah, weenies. Yeah. I guess they weren't, you know, God's will, they weren't strong enough or whatever was going by. But Nancy, this is, so how, here's the thing. And you, you're teaching me so much. I think that we have to call people out on this. I whether I, I think that if white people see Amen. This, this is what <laughs> I say to people all the time. It's easy enough to be a black person in a parade saying black lives matter. Well, of course. I mean, why not? You should, blah, blah, blah. But when white people are doing it, 
Don't we have to do that to support, not only su to support ourselves, to support the black people in America, the other uh, the black Americans, but I mean, we have to. We have to, and whenever we it's get close so to something, to look that. what happened when that, I, I, Denise, I remember, and I believe it was maybe the murder of Michael Brown. I, I, I think that that was the time where there were protests, like there was a protest, you know, of course in, yeah, that, that was Ferguson. I, I think that it was the time of Ferguson. And so there are protests in, in Ferguson and then in St. Louis and then all in Brooklyn and then in Washington DC and Chicago. And all of a sudden I'm looking online and I remember a picture of a, of a big group of people, it's from a distance and they're, they're marching in a line and they're holding, you know, people are holding at waist level, must've been some kind of cloth banner and it was lit up, it was in lights and it said, Black Lives Matter. And I just, I could have just fallen back on my chair. I didn't, but I felt so much joy because yeah. I thought, that's it. That, that's, that's it. That's, that's cutting to the chase. That's cutting through all the, all the garbage that they filled our ears with and so forth. And of course that they, white supremacist ideology, white supremacists would not let that stand because that is too much truth. Then we start connecting dots. That is simple and it cuts to it. So all lives matter. All, that's as, exactly though, as though anybody who said black lives matter was saying that yours didn't, but they know how white supremacy knows how to push our buttons. It knows how to go to scarcity. It knows how to go to, uh, to, to all our little uh, white culture, goodies. So, and then blue lives matter as though, of course, the problem with that one is a police officer puts on a uniform. A black person can't not be black, but a police officer can resign or put on, you know, a, a, a baseball uniform, you know, completely different. So both of those things are bogus, they're garbage, but it took the air right out. And then they made Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, the devil, just like with the NAACP. I and mean, if you look back, Dr. King, you know, all the all the reverence now for all the for certain things that he said, but the NAACP was demonized. And I mean, you can look, the NAACP was a lot of people, mostly guys in suits and doing working through the system, doing all of this, but they quickly convinced white people that it was communist and you know, all the things. So the so the mind games that are going on. And, uh, Denise, I want to tell you, when I, when I was doing um, my anti-racism, I, I went live every day for after George Floyd was murdered for, for a number of months. There was I just so much yes. going on. And I, I just felt like we've got to, you know, look at this. We've got to look at this. Things that we don't, that we don't know, how could we not know? Tulsa. Yes. The, Tulsa. Wilmington, Rosewood, it's not just Tulsa. Tulsa is one of the biggest ones, but from 18, the 1890s until 1920, and Tulsa was in 1919, there were massacres. They were staged, cultivated, actual terrorism visited on black people. And one was in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. That was one of the earlier ones. But it was the Wilmington race riot 
the Tulsa race riot. And if you heard about it and looked at it, it would be black people picked up sticks and ran and got ready to beat up a white Sunday school teacher and something had to be done. You know, there's a whole garbage narrative, but all this was right here. I learned about that from uh, Reverend Barber, the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, who was head of the North Carolina NAACP at the time. And he's teaching about, he's, he's just talking about this known story in which, uh, in which an election was basically overthrown. The, you know, black, as soon as black people could vote and black men had full citizenship, black Congress members, black senators, people went to law school, people started schools. They went right from being enslaved to being in charge and doing things and they wanted justice and freedom. They didn't wanna do back what was done to them, but the white supremacist forces we're not having that. So we've got a whole 20 year period with all these events, which are completely documented that you and I don't know about because we weren't supposed to, because that is in great contrast. And we have, how many white people think that terrorism came to America on an airplane on September 11th with, with brown people from the Middle East? Yes. It's like, that was terrorism, but we are very familiar with terrorism. Terrorism in America is white supremacist activity going back as far as we go back. And keeping that secret, that's where the 1619 Project, that's where hammering the 1619 Project, because that's saying, hey, um, this slavery thing, it's not like a little side aspect of our economic systems. That's part of who we are. And that's, that's just saying, here's what happened. But we always take it personally and let somebody tell us what it should mean. Let somebody mean and dishonest tell us what it should mean. When I was 18 and I graduated from high school, Nancy, there was, I was in a Head Start program in Marin County, not a, a chapter of Head Start. And I went to the nursery school that was in the predominantly black area of Marin County. So I went and I was teaching at the nursery school and the Black Panthers came. I'm sure I've told you this. They came every week because they were, and they would bring free food. First, my mother understood it. I said, this is what I can, this helps with my teacher's credential. This is the best nursery school that I can teach in. It was from like three until seven or eight, all run by the community, Nancy. This was just retired teachers in the Black community that were teaching. And my father got a little concerned when he heard about the Black Panthers. And we were at dinner and my father said, well, you know, are they there? Do they have guns? I said, dad, yeah, they're trying to feed their kids. That's all they were trying to do and give pride to their community. And I'll never forget it. And he went, oh, and now when I look back, they were so maligned. I mean, it was all the FBI making up all this crap. Now, were there some Black Panthers that were dangerous? I'm sure. But I don't think Fred Hampton, who was drugged in his bed and was murdered in his bed, was dangerous at that moment. Do you? No, I Just don't. Listen to anything. That and I think Klan members are pretty dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I consider them dangerous people. Very. And I don't like them burning a cross because that's my religious faith. And how, how is that? How is that okay? Yeah. How, how, how is that? <laughs> you know, there's just all this right, right in front of us, and we accept a demonization of these folks and, and they don't laud. It's just like nothing about this and give you a reason to hate, fear, blame, 
Exactly. Hate, fear, and blame. Now, another one people are going to say, God, does she ever have time to do anything but watch TV? If you're watching (laughs) Gaslit with Julia Roberts, she's tremendous. But it's all about, and I lived through this, it's the Nixon Watergate time, okay? And it's Martha Mitchell. Now, you want thugs. You want people that were criminal. It was Nixon's administration with Halderman and Ehrlichman. They were no better than Nazis. I'm sorry, they were no better than Nazis. And talk about white supremacy. And it's a fascinating thing what's happened, Nancy. But I was reading, to rhyme this back, I read from the 1900s till almost 1935, Jim Crow laws, there was nothing done with the emancipation of slaves except trying to destroy them. That's what it came down to. And that's what the race, the race uh, burning down Tulsa and all of them were about. They were building their own communities and people didn't want them to have, black people to have their own power. You know, it, when you start connecting the dots, as you've said to me, you start seeing where the narrative changes and what, it's like a spin machine. It's just like a spin machine, what they have. To- exactly right. Uh, Denise, I've got, a, I've got a hashtag that I use a lot. And I think it's so important, especially for white people like myself who miseducated, uneducated, all that. It's watch whiteness work. Watch whiteness work because we're we're told to see black people and brown people and women and people and and Arab Muslim you know they're they're LGBTQ people that you know this intersectionality this uh, demonizing lying about making you know m- giving us a story a narrative about an entire group of people so that we will allow them to be <laughs> mistreated and given yeah. goodies for it. Uh, but we're not taught to see whiteness. And by whiteness, I don't mean you and me. I mean these, the forces, the people who want, who, who believe that, who believe in white supremacy. Now, now yes. white supremacy, it's, it's horrifying. People don't want to say it because it, it just, it feels like, I mean, I mean, I'm a Harry Potter, I was a Harry Potter fan. Don't say the name. Uh, it is, it's a lie, but it's real. Yeah. So white supremacy is not true. There's nothing superior. I mean, look around. There's nothing superior, better, anything about white people as an identifiable physical group. I know some wonderful folks like my father, and I know some horrible folks like Hitler, and it's just, here we are, people. But the forces of white supremacy, the priests and supporters of white supremacist thinking have a big lie that they have sold all of us and we are all going along with so much of it because it is invisible. It's got an invisibility cloak. And that, you know, we're seeing that so much right now. I mean, how much of this, don't say anything about history, don't make people feel bad. You think black people feel good about about so much that's happening? It's- um, Again, when I, see, I always say this to my husband, but now when I've been watching um, the first ladies, this is a fiction, the fictional account. Ronald Reagan started spinning all this shit. I mean, started spinning this shit in the 80s. He pulling the church back into the, and the reason we're having problems is we need the church and our government. Huh? I thought we were supposed to be separate. I, I thought that's what we were founded on. I grew up Baptist. It's like, that's, that's a big no. <laughs> Even for Baptists back in the day. 
<laughs> I can see how we've ended up here now. There is so much, I'm sorry, I will say it totally rests on, people wonder how the Republican party got to be such a mess. Go back and listen to Reagan's speeches. Go back to see who was supporting Reagan. These were not people saying, oh, let's help my black brother or we need to get along. They were, they're pushing a wedge into, into being divided and wanting to remain on top. That's all it comes down to. That's all I mean, it comes down to. I mean, surefire clue. And I learned this from, I, I took a course in 2007. It was taught by uh, Dr. Tim Tyson, Timothy Tyson, who's a professor of, uh, of his, he's a Duke history professor at Duke University and uh, professor of African-American studies. And he taught a like 10 week course to uh, students at Duke, Carolina, and North Carolina Central University, which is a historically black, a public historical HBCU in Durham, North Carolina. It was open to graduate students and undergraduate students with different, um, with different you know, requirements depending on where you were taking it. And it was open to the public. So that was me. And we met in the Haytai Heritage Center, which is a, it is a, what do you call it, decommissioned? It, 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 is, it was a church. It was St. Joseph AME Church, which was moved to another location, but it's a historic building. So it is it's no longer a church sanctuary, but the beautiful sanctuary with, a, I mean, it, it's just a lovely wooden pews and a balcony. And every, every session, it was, I think it was Tuesday nights at seven, every session began with an artist by the name of Mrs. Mary D. Williams. And she is a, uh, a singer, a music, ethnomusicologist, and historian of uh, gospel music. And she would start at the back and come in singing a cappella. A magnificent song. Uh, and I learned so much, you know, I didn't know who Emmett Till was, I but I learned from that class. I, I didn't know about, you know, Rose was so many things that were, you know, left out of, of, of my, of my education. I, I think that's something, your point, Nancy, that I think is so important here. We can learn about the history of America through cookbooks, cookbooks that are coming out now, written at coming out of the black community by the history of what people, I mean, I think if there's any way for people to be able to digest some of the horror of the world, it's through food culturally. Do you know what I mean? Why did people, eat? I mean, when I was just, why did people eat that? Because that, those were the table scraps and that's what they were given. This is what they learned to do when they hid the seeds in their clothes and then they planted them in the new world. I mean, the history of food tells us everything that we need to know about so much. Wars tell us, war is how it affects food. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think your point about history and the studies of it. A friend of mine took black studies in 1970 or 71 at Sonoma State College. And I know what a life-changing thing that was. So one of the things I'm thinking now is it's too late for me to take it in college, but it's not late, too late for me to go listen to people speak like you're talking about. And I saw you were talking recently about Michael Twitty. If people don't know Michael Twitty's book, The Cooking Gene. When Michael speaks, I think there is a possibility of a learning experience for all Always. of us. Always. Oh, so rich, so deep, so yes. putting things together. 
incredible. Yes, putting things together. That's what I was trying to say about his book. No, honey. I, Denise? Yes. So in my class, I learned about, so one thing about Ronald Reagan yes. that gives you a clue, and I think this is a very good point, things aren't done directly. So when, when enslavement was possible and accepted, that's what they did. When they lost that battle, they said, how do we regroup? How do we get what we want in a different way yes. that people, that, that the white majority will accept? And the 13th Amendment, which I think happens within just a couple, maybe two years after uh, the end of the Civil War. Oh, yeah. That takes right. take basically re-enslavement is possible in the sense of anybody who has been, who is in jail can be hired out. You know, that was a re-enslaving um, yeah. that happened. When Reagan ran for uh, president, he opened his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Now that didn't mean anything to me until I took this class. Philadelphia, Mississippi is where uh, the three civil rights workers were murdered by white supremacists. So by start, I mean, he was from California. I know. And he was a Republican. Why would he open his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi? Well, we call that a dog whistle. Because yes. those whom he wanted to alert knew exactly what that meant. Just as when uh, there was a plan for a campaign event to happen on June 19th in Tulsa. Yes. That was, if you knew history, that was a slap in the face, an outrage, a, a, a cruel and, and, and a, a truly evil stroke, which they backed off. They so the count our ignorance is, does not serve us, it serves them. And That's when we see oh. this long game, then we become unwilling to go along with it. And we say, hell yeah, Black Lives Matter. Why? And I'm not going to worry about what somebody says that, you know, what somebody says that means. It, 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 it's you just said it, Nancy, so perfectly. You said our ignorance serves them. Exactly. Okay. So this is what I can think about. Igno our ignorance serves them, which is the reason all of us, all of us need to do self-study, to read more, to be honest about our past and see if we can't make some changes in the future. Uh, and Denise, I, there's one thing I wanna speak to. Looking at this, yes, it's really hard. Oh, I mean, it's so hard. It's ugly, it's evil. And, you know, just the feelings is like, oh, my God, how could I not know? How could how could my people have been involved in that if they were? How, how could, uh, you know, there, there's guilt, there's shame, there's sadness, there's sorrow. And those are reactions that we have when we identify with that history, with the people who did it. And it's really not about us. It's about something that happened. And I think it's obviously possible for a lot of people in Germany to say, oh my God, that was horrible. That was a time when our government, and they have embraced telling the story, looking at the story, dealing with it. And um, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's possible for us to not identify as, not identify with whiteness as in white supremacist thinking, it's like, that's evil. It's yeah. bad. 
It's wrong. There aren't two sides to everything. And everybody deep down knows that. And that is another place where we are compromised because it's like, well, there's another side and let's find out what, what the, you know, what made him do, you know, like there's always a reason we let people who look like the white deacons at my white Baptist church, get away with absolute murder, get away with anything. There are people who look like they're telling the truth, like Ronald Reagan sitting in Philadelphia, Mississippi saying, I just want the communists to lose and right wing to win. But he was talking about other things that are not on the surface. But we would have to be uncomfortable. We would have to be impolite. We would have to sometimes make other people, you know how people are much more outraged at the suggestion that someone is, might be racist than we are about racism. Yes. We are so, we are so easily manipulated to, to react to that. It's that girl thing. It's that be nice, be kind, be sweet. Don't Don't be loud. Don't be loud. And, and wait for the explanation because there will always be an explanation that makes everything sound fine. And I, I think the explanation is that there are, there are bad people who are more, it's more obvious nowadays I'm, 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 I'm rambling. No, it's okay. What you said, you got it, Nancy. I get it. I totally get it. Well, so, I, so the bad, the, the thing about, the thing about looking at bad stuff and hard stuff is we've got to do that. That that's the, the only way out is through thing, but right. I want us to look at it quietly thinking about it and thinking about why didn't I know that? You weren't supposed to know it. Keep learning. Okay. And we need to take very good care of ourselves and take breaks from it and not just dive in that and do that all summer, but let's add that. And there are, there are movies, there are all kinds of ways to learn and let's, we need to embrace um, getting educated. I when, when I first got interested in doing something about this before George Floyd was murdered, I thought, I got it. I got to do something. I, I, my, I got to, I got to have a group so I can tell about it or something. But I, I noticed, um, especially from that course that I took, that people would come up to the microphone, you know, all this new, this history that we had never learned was presented. And then somebody would go up to the microphone, more often than not, a white man and say, well, that's all very interesting, but I want to know how that affects the so-and-so, the such-and-so, blah, 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 blah. You know, just a blathering, dithering, something that was an attempt to take it back to what he was comfortable with. And I thought, I can't stand that. So I thought, I'll do it, but I'm going to call it S-U-A-L. Shut up and listen. And I would just take a microphone and say a lot of things, but I I knew that that would not really be a very good or effective thing, but I think we need to resist as we learn, we need to resist the urge to try to fix it, to try to comment on it, to try to go talk to black people about it. I think each of us at our own level needs to get very curious and on whatever level you can find out through cookbooks, through, through, through books, through movies, whatever, just say, I've been miseducated and I want to learn a lot of truth. And some of it's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be gentle with myself, but I'm going to be open to the fact that we are in a very 
dangerous time where these folks want to take us back. Yes. People don't believe in democracy. They don't believe in equality. They don't believe in the world that you and I want that we think we're in. And I, I don't want them to succeed in taking us back. Um, and I'm optimistic. I actually feel like this is a really amazing and wonderful time to be looking at this because the, you know, the death grip on information that was in place 20 years ago without the internet, it's just not there. We can find things, we can connect with each other. And I, I, think, I think we have to do it because it's a matter of life and death. Yes. Maybe not for us, but for, for our fellow citizens, for other people, for people that we don't know as well as we would. You know, we don't really know each other because we're not supposed to. That whole thing of separate schools and separate lunch counters and, 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 and redlining and neighborhoods and all of that, that is all very intentional because when we only know other white people and someone can lie to us, we don't have any personal thing. I think the most important thing we can do is listen to black people, read, uh, listen, here I am blathering, but go out and find black people and listen and observe and learn. I mean, I think a, a question of interest is good, but don't argue. <laughs> we, we, we don't have time. Believe black people, listen to them. And then um, the, I think the, the thing to do is not go out and start an organization, but say, how can I help? That's my local NAACP. Can I, can I go join the NAACP and staple the, the things together? Can I um, go serve, cut, cut pie and put it on plates for the Juneteenth celebration? What can I do as a student and servant of, uh, of community and of, um, of, of being, being the people, being who we could be? You know, people say, that's not who we are. It's like, yes, it's exactly right now. Horrible things are exactly who we are, but we can change that one step at a time, one day at a time and take a break and come back. You just said it, Nancy, so well. And I'll tell you what else, what I'm thinking about, which is I'm thinking about, you're absolutely right. And we have to be, it's like, let's get on, let's be uncomfortable, but talk the truth. And I think that is just, a huge message that you gave us today is let's be uncomfortable and t and speak the truth because it does make people uncomfortable. And I, I know it makes me uncomfortable. But but think of something that, you know, in your lifetime that it, it's like whatever, you know, for, for you were talking about for women's rights, that yeah. didn't make a lot of men comfortable, but sure you, know, you did it anyway. It's like, that's not, that's sure not always the standard. And I never had a bit of trouble doing it either. <laughs> when we see something that is horrible and evil and wrong, and it's like, oh my God, this is, I, I'm, I'm melting. I want people to look at, look at what's, hap what's happened in history and also notice how much strength and creativity and resilience and courage and triumph there are in stories of where something terrible has happened. It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's awful. All those people were killed and yet, People found these resources to have a decoration day. Look how they lived. Look how they coped with things that they couldn't change. It's like, I, I don't feel sad. I feel, um, I mean, I feel sad sometimes, but you don't have to look very far to say, oh my gosh, what 
Um, what an amazing story. Why isn't this a movie? <laughs> I mean, think of all the crummy movies we have right. about pioneers. I mean, how much of how much of TV and movies is Civil War stories and where it's like brother against brother. It's like, oh, the Union soldiers and the Southern, the white, the white soldiers on each side and Westerns. What is the story of Westerns? What is the narrative? And cop shows, what is the narrative? How much of our attitudes that are that are filled with whiteness and that are not that do not serve us come from popular culture. I mean, we're we're kind of under an information onslaught that's gone on for centuries. And now's our time to say, where can I find the dots and connect them and also support and do good be, be out of out of joy and and out of out of having a conscience and saying, I want to help make things right. That's right. Honey, thank you as always for your valuable time. You made so many great points. My head is swimming in information and it should be. You know, Nancy, I thank you. I really do. I thank you so very much. Now, people want to reach out to us. They email us at womanbeyond at icloud.com. If you don't like to make it public, sometimes people want to send us private messages because they just, they want to, that's fine. Um, you can private message us. If you want to listen and talk to Nancy directly, we get put Nancy's information on up when we on our website, womenbeyondacertainage.com. We have a Facebook page. Facebook, actually, the Facebook page works great because people sometimes have conversations with each other there. And it's a very fun thing to discuss or hear what people are saying. So thank you, Cindy, as always, for um, keeping the train on the tracks. Thank you, Nancy. I learned a lot and, and I appreciate it. I, I do know this for me. I have to learn to be more uncomfortable because my training was not to be that way. And actually, if you're going to use the word white supremacist, you might as well say it loud. Okay. <laughs> I love you, Denise. Or oh my gosh. gosh. The expletive and say those fucking white supremacists. I think I'll start <laughs> my last no. my, my, my next homeowners association meeting. I think I'll go in with that and see what the response I get. All right. Thank you, darling. Thank you, Miss Cindy. Thank you, Nancy. Talk to you again soon. Love you very much. Bye. Bye.